Hi everyone, uh, my name's Pete and uh, I've been given the opportunity to speak this morning. Um, Father's Day for me, um, it's funny, I actually hadn't stopped and thought about my dad until the kids got up. And uh, for me, one of my memories of my dad was he preached, he was a bit of a storyteller, he had a bit of a stirring edge to him, but whenever he preached, uh, he had very dirty hands, he had stained hands, and so I've got images of that popping up in my head this morning. Uh, the other thing is that um, he, one of the things I've reflected on lately, though, is I spend a lot of time with my mum, and my dad passed away over 30 years ago, and I've come to realise that my dad must have been a wonderful husband, because my mum talks about him all the time still. And uh, it's a real challenge for me. Is that the sort of legacy I would leave with my family, that, my, that they would still talk about him and miss him and long for him? Uh, so that, that's some of the memories for me, for my dad. Um, today we're going to uh, continue on in our series. Uh, this is our fourth week on looking at parables that Jesus told, but specifically ones that are in Matthew and that they focus on the kingdom. However, on a personal note, over recent months, the Moody family has attracted a lot of prayer support <laughs> for different reasons, uh, me personally, and then also uh, particularly for Judy. Here's a picture of Judy. Uh, just yesterday, I think it was taken, or the day before. Um, Judy continues to make, as John sent a message to me this week, small steps to recovery for those uh, who know her. Uh, she hit a milestone on Friday. She actually had something to eat for the first time in seven weeks. <laughs> um, and to her surprise, what she felt like was a cheese sandwich on white bread, which she normally doesn't eat. <laughs> so, uh, but we as a family are extremely grateful uh, for the prayer. In fact, um, it's not until you become the focus of prayer is that you realise how powerful it is and how sustaining and upholding it is. It's a powerful and wonderful thing. And so please, please know that as a family, we deeply appreciate your support in this way um, and continue to pray for Judy. One of the things about not eating for seven weeks, you don't actually desire to eat. <laughs> and uh, that's the big challenge for Judy at the moment. So just pray that she would begin, her body would begin to want to eat again, actually. Yeah. Um, I'd like to pray before I start. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do have an example of a father that is uh, so wonderful and loving and caring. And uh, we just thank you that we can remember, be reminded of that today on Father's Day. We also thank you that you've made great provision for us in your son Jesus and that you also have given us your word which we can read and learn more about how, re how our relationship with you should be. And so we just commit this, this uh, few minutes to you now as we share some of the thoughts from uh, your word. We pray that you would speak to us and our hearts would be open to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'll just read this parable that we're going to look at today. This is uh, from Matthew 13, 44 to 46, if you want to turn your Bibles on, um, or it's up on the screen. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had 
and bought it. Last week, Danny encouraged us to ponder on parables. That's what they're for. They're there for us to think over. What does this mean? You know, this might sound a bit risky, but it's not what we are told the parables mean. It's what they mean to you and me. Does that make sense? It's not what we are told they mean. They're they're put out there for us to think about and work out what does this mean for me. Jesus made it very clear that the meaning of parables is reserved for those who actually hear and see the meaning and who have soft hearts that respond to it. So, I wonder, what stirs in your mind, your heart, as you hear and read this parable? It's often called uh, the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. It's one of a group of parables Jesus told that specifically spoke of the heaven, a kingdom of heaven and what it is like. In all, there was about 46 parables that Jesus told, which are recorded across the Gospels. Matthew, however, he seems to focus uh, his Gospel on the kingdom, using this phrase, kingdom of heaven, over 30 times in his Gospel. In addition, Jesus often introduced his parables with this little formula or this little pretext, the kingdom of heaven is like. What I like about this, it's not something that I make up. (laughs) It's something we can get a clear indication that Jesus wants us to think about the uh, the kingdom of heaven. It's not something I'm telling you. It's, It's quite clear and plain in the Gospels, that this is the message that we are to hear and pay attention to. So let's just have a a look at this parable. There's a real sense in this that we should have a hope to finding something great, of great value. So what we find in this parable is that there's actually two parables. Uh, We have... Each parable begins like this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. What I'd like you to do now is to turn to someone beside you and actually talk about, just briefly, um, the last time you talked about treasure and pearls and it wasn't in the context of pirates and this passage of scripture. Okay? When was the last time you talked about treasures and pearls?
Okay, now I'll have to somehow get images of Captain Jack Sparrow out of your minds and uh, draw yourself back to here. But my thoughts are that it's probably been a while because these are not words or ideas that we actually talk much of today. I think it would be fair to say. But in Jesus' time, they were very, very significant. You know, the region in which Jesus lived was frequently plagued with warring people. And there was political unrest. And this led people to hiding their valuables by burying them because they were at risk of losing them. Um, The picture on the slide is actually uh, painted by Rembrandt and it's depicting the parable and the discovery of a treasure. This would have been common for people and not unusual to happen, but it's very, very foreign for us to think that way. Uh, What people buried, though, was things that were very precious to them. Um, Today, you know, we've got banks and financial institutes who are very glad to take your money. (laughs) Um, We have all sorts of ways of keeping things secure. But... In this time, it wasn't like that. But even today, there are people that still choose to hide their valuables away. Uh, This picture here is a... You'll see a whole lot of money, actually. And there's a bit of an article there there that I found on Facebook. And it's actually, if you want to Google it, there's this site that has the 10 largest amounts of money that were found where people actually gave it back after they found it. And this one, this guy bought a house. His name was Josh uh, Ferrin. He found, he just bought a house and before he even uh, actually moved in, he went to have a look and he saw a bit of cloth hanging out of uh, a door to the attic and he went up there and he found over $40,000 sitting in the attic, which was his now. (laughs) But he did find the owner and he gave it back to them. Very nice of him. (laughs) But the kingdom of heaven is like treasures hidden in a field. Okay, It's something that is very, very precious. This is one of the things Jesus wanted to get hold of. Now, pearls, if we look at the history of pearls, in um, ancient Middle Eastern culture, it was thought it was there that pearls and their shells was actually given value. Um, And this eventually spread throughout the Mediterranean, which is where we're talking about where Jesus lived, and that they became known as a precious gem. And they were thought to be worth their weight in gold, pearls, in that time. By 100 BC, uh, the Mediterranean enthusiasm for them had become quite crazy. People just wanted them. They wanted to adorn uh, uh, pearls on them, and they'd they'd have objects with pearls uh, attached to them. And archaeological diggings have found right across the Roman Empire that this was true, that people were really possessed with uh, pearls. Um, Natural pearls are the most valuable and they occur only in the wild. Um, They are almost 100% pure. Whereas cultured pearls only have a very thin layer. They're not a, not, a comp- not 100%. But throughout the centuries, pearls have been the symbol of something rare, something 
that is fine, admirable, valuable, something that's beautiful. And it's this that Jesus is tapping into at this time. You know. So on the hand of the treasure, we've got this kingdom that is something that is very precious that people would have hidden. On the other hand, we've got this, uh, that the kingdom is like something that is beautiful, pure, excellent. Um, and so Jesus is trying to use these to help people understand what the kingdom is like. Now, I don't know if this connects with you or not. It doesn't necessarily really connect with me, actually, because it's a bit of history and it's, it's a fair way away. Um, is it the way you would describe the kingdom to your friends? That's one way you could look at it. Uh, Jesus actually said earlier in chapter 6 that where your treasure is, your heart is also. So... What, if, this, if the kingdom is your treasure, are these the words you would use to describe it? I don't know. Does it connect? But he's trying to connect people to the value of the kingdom. C.S. Lewis once said, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at uh, earth and you get neither. So what is your treasure? Is the kingdom your treasure? We could actually go on and list... Uh, lots of wonderful attributes about the kingdom. We can pick these up from the Bible. These are just a few, that there's no more sin in heaven, there's no more pain or suffering, there's no more death, there's no tears, there's no more persecution. You know, we could spend a lot of time listing all the attributes that we can pick up from Scripture about what the kingdom, what, what heaven is, the kingdom of heaven is like. But I do want to make a point. It's important to recognise that Jesus is not offering this treasure or this pearl as a lure or a carrot to get us to come to the kingdom. He's actually just making a statement, this is what it's like. It's not a carrot. It's not something that we should dangle in front of people. Come and get this. And, And the reason I say this, imagine this. Imagine if heaven was just living forever. You know, living forever and eternal life are very different things. Living forever and eternal life are very different things. Imagine if we could live forever and there was still suffering, there was still hardship, there was still pain. I wouldn't like that, actually. It's possibly why God in the creation story didn't allow us to go to the tree of life. And get that as well. Imagine living in state, that state. So living uh, forever and eternal life are two very different things. Um, and we get this beautiful verse out of John 17, 13, that actually says eternal life is to know the Father and to know the Son that he sent. That's fantastic. I remember uh, Abby and I, uh, when she was only in primary school, we actually went to a rally, a youth rally at Etihad Stadium. And uh, she took a friend along who didn't go to church. And um, at the end of the service, they actually uh, made an appeal, as they did in those days and still do, um, and asked if anyone wanted to respond to this message about Jesus to come forward. In the context of the message, 
uh, there was something mentioned about iPods. I don't know why, but there was something in that message that said something about iPods. To our surprise and delight, Abby's friend said, I want to go forward. I want to go down. And uh, we were, oh, this is fantastic. So we headed off. This is in Etihad. The actual, we're up in the seats and we ended up going down into the, what, was, what is the playing field area. And uh, they had, the proceedings went through and it all finished. And we thought, this is great. And then Abby's friend turned to us and said, where's the iPod? See, it's not a carrot. The kingdom is not a carrot. This precious thing that Jesus is talking about, he's just making a statement about how wonderful it is. And this is what it's like. Jesus is pointing us to a kingdom like something we have never known. If we keep this parable inside of the other parables about the kingdom the parables of the sower, the weeds, the fish, they all bring in focus the contrast between the world and the kingdom. Um, There are two standout features, though, about the parables. One is they speak of who will be in the kingdom and they also tell us that the kingdom if it's a part of our life, will change our life. These are the two standout things, and this parable is the same. Before we leave this uh, part of the parable, uh, I wonder, though, has it connected to you? Does talking about treasure and pearls or speaking in terms of these things, things of great value, does it stir something in you? I just want you to take a little trip to my place, So if we just watch this movie, this is how you get to my place from this church. It's not moving. Okay. (laughs) I like to add that this is Emerson driving, so it didn't take very long at all. (laughs) She's going for a license soon. (laughs) Oh, we've lost it. There it is. Cool. So, now, this is uh, how you get to our place. And um, this house, like I said, Emerson's driving. I'm holding the iPhone up against the screen. <laughs> um, now, we built this, when we get there, we built this house over 18 years ago, or 18 years ago Joe and I. And um, it's uh, been an absolute blessing to us. One thing that we didn't know when we built this place is that the train to New G used to go through this bit of block of land. Okay? Now, who remembers the train that went to New G? Wow, George does. <laughs> few, few people did. So this is our place. And right through our block ran the train line. Now, the train finished uh, running in around 1958, so most of us here didn't actually get the opportunity to go on it. Now, it's an interesting bit of history... But what makes it real? How do we know that that really happened? Well, what's in this bucket tells me it really happened. Anybody guess what's in this bucket? Railway spikes. (laughs) I've got heaps of them if anybody wants any. (laughs) 
I know that railway line went through our block of land because they pop up like mushrooms. <laughs> they just appear out of the ground. Now, maybe you mightn't connect with some of the history, but take this point. When the kingdom becomes a part of our life, evidence pops up. The reality of it will appear in our lives. The funny thing, though, about the spikes, about the railway line, is when I am digging out the backyard and I do hit something hard, what do you think I think? I don't think railway spikes. I think, oh, someone dropped their gold. Watch. <laughs> I'm not joking. I always wonder, did someone drop something on our bit of land? And I think there's something about us as humans that we hope that there is something better. We always hope that there is something better. And I wonder whether Jesus is trying to tap into that as well, that we know there has to be something better. What we're talking about here is a kingdom like no other. Both the people in this story, and the only difference in this story, these two parables, is that one was looking and one wasn't. But both of them respond the same way. The first way, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought the field. He went away, the second one, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Two people... One by chance, the other by looking. But both find something of great value. And when they find it, they both know immediately it has great value. That it is life-changing value. And that it has answers to what they should do with their life. And so they both make plans immediately what they're going to do. Is this what you know of the, of the kingdom in your life? Take note of their response. There's no hesitation. There is no, oh, just wait. I was recently uh, travelling uh, to the airport. A friend was taking me. They were in the midst of making a very, very big decision in their life. And we were talking about it. But all I heard about this decision was something that happened to them when they were a child. They said, wait, I want to go back here. I've got to, this is going to help me make this decision. And it was not helping them make that decision. We don't see any of this here. There's no wait. It's just so wonderful and precious that they just go, I've got to get it. Is that what the kingdom means to you? Is that what it's like for you? I've become aware in our attempts to understand parables that if we're not careful, we actually keep them from their context rather than put them in their context. And we make them complicated <laughs> and overworked. In fact, when you try to find out information about parables you look into the commentaries and that that's an often a common comment people overwork them the message is simple 
It's standalone. It is so precious, so pure, so beautiful. There's nothing you would, you would let stop you getting it. That's it. <laughs> and that's what these two characters do. And they pay the price for it. And they do it joyfully. This is our story. You know, these parables were spoken on the streets of Jerusalem and in the surrounding countryside, the marketplace. As I pondered, as Danny said we should do, on this parable, I thought, I wonder how I could get a feel for what that was like, for a passerby to hear this story. You know, to strip back all the filters I've got that I use or we use that influence my view. I've been in this church for 30 years. It influences the way I see these sorts of things. Um, and, for, you know, for example, can I look at this without even thinking there's a church? Or, dare I say, there was no Bible then. It didn't come for hundreds of years later. So what would a person hear when they heard this parable? So I went to a friend of mine. This is what I did. He's not a believer. And I said to her, would you read this and tell me what it means? And she, she said, yeah, I'll do this. Um, so uh, I actually gave her most of chapter 13 of Matthew so that she could get a sort of feel for what parables were. And a couple of days ago, we sat down and she shared her, her thoughts. She said, first of all, it depends on your viewpoint as to how you understand the parable. For example, whether you have a faith or not. She knew enough to say that. Okay? And at that point, she drew a line. She said, I don't have a faith. I don't believe this. But this is what I think. The kingdom is that which you treasure or value. And for her, the kingdom is this life. And so the things that I value are family, community, relationships. And it's the thing that we put before everything else. And... And it's interesting, we've already heard this word this morning about dads. It's the thing you protect. And your life should show it. Amazing. Amazing. It's the thing you value. You put it above everything else. You protect it. And it shows in your life. I think that captures it, doesn't it? <laughs> This is the response of the man in the field and the merchant. That's what our response should be. We should unreservedly value this treasure above all else. We should protect it and our lives should show it. I spent a few moments, a bit of time actually, just looking in the scriptures whether there's other references about treasure. And I came across this one in Isaiah 33.6. It says... He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom 
acknowledged. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. I've come to appreciate that if there's a starting point for understanding the impact of the treasure, the pearl, this kingdom in our life, we don't need to look any further than salvation. In fact, we get a powerful picture that, in Scripture that salvation is not a moment. It, it's something that begins and is happening now and will be fulfilled. And to use my friend's understanding of the parable, salvation, it's the thing you value. Salvation, it's the thing you put above everything else. Salvation, it's the thing that you protect in your life. Salvation, it's the thing that people should see in your life. How powerful is it? Titus 3.4 has a good little summary of salvation. It's up there. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life, that we might become a part of this precious, wonderful thing, this kingdom of God. It's amazing. You know, my friend drew a line about faith, but it's faith that actually allows us to see, to hear, to have soft hearts, to know the secrets of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Again, as I was looking through the scriptures, and I'll finish with this, I found this verse, and it's not up there, but it's from Isaiah 60, verse 18, and it says this, No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Imagine this. Imagine if church, if we were known not for walls that separate us, not for walls that are there to define or hold up the, our points of view, but rather that these walls around us were just known for salvation. I think it's amazing. And it's challenging, deeply challenging, because that's what the kingdom is like. It has walls of salvation. Imagine it, if the church, if we were known not for the walls that separate us, walls that are there to carry our points of view, but rather we were known for our walls of salvation. I wonder then if those looking on would see that the kingdom is like something so precious, so pure, so beautiful, that it turns lives around. And there is nothing, nothing that you would do, not do, to stop getting it. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that you love us so much that you wanted to save us.
that you wanted to bring us into this wonderful kingdom. And we thank you that you've made this possible through Jesus. I pray that each of us may get a deep sense of how valuable this kingdom is, but also that when it comes into our lives, it changes us dramatically. It turns us around and that we will never be the same again and that we will be a part of it forever, for eternity. And we are extremely grateful for that in Jesus' name. I do have one more thing to say. I'd love, in Ecclesiastes, it talks about a concept called time and chance. Okay, time and chance. So by time, the principle of time and chance is that things can happen out of our control. The great thing about it is that God has it all in his hands. And I want to say this because early this morning I came in here and I stuck something of great value under one of the seats within this church. <laughs> uh, so if you want to have a look... Sorry? Oh, it's not only yours? There's a few people going, is, it, is, it, is this true? It is true. There is something of great value under one of the seats, and it's yours if you find it. And I'm sure as humans, we love to find something. We love something of great value. We always think there is something more. All right, it's back shout for coffees after the service. <laughs> Please stand with us. We're just going to sing one more song at the cross. <laughs>